Well, good morning, Life Church, and good morning to everyone who's been joining us for this online series called The God Questions. Now, today we're going to launch this message with a special little video that comes from some great kids that have some great things to say. Take a look at this. Nightmares are you're scared of something, you just squeeze your teddy bear and then you'll feel better. A lot of times I have scary dreams and sometimes I have dreams about wrestlers. I got a little like to check what's anything in the bathroom even. No, but I'm a little bit afraid. They're just made up. People just do that to make television shows like Godzilla. That's not really real. There's no such thing as a huge lizard that's gonna, that can step on every building. If you have like a toy that's really scary and like always scares you, and like it comes to life in your dreams, you have to stand up to it. Like, that toy is not even real. Come on, you gotta tell yourself that toy isn't real. That toy isn't real. All right, now somehow at an early age, we start acquiring this tendency to be afraid. But while that may be true, are we supposed to cultivate that fear? So today's God question is this. What is the most common command in all of scripture? In other words, what more than anything else does God instruct us to do? Now, believe it or not, it's not to be more loving. Well, that may be at the core of God's desire for human beings. That's not his most frequent command. Writers about spiritual life often speak of pride as being the root of man's fallenness. But the Bible's most frequent imperative does not have to do with avoiding pride or gaining humility. It's not a command to guard your purity or walk with integrity, as important as those qualities are. Interestingly enough, the most common command in Scripture is this. Fear not. Say that with me. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. You can trust me, says God. Fear not. Now, fear is a universal deal. Every one of us wrestles with this at some level. Uh, the great author Dave Barry said this, he said, We all have fears. Fear of falling, fear of the dark, fear of lobsters, fear of falling on lobsters in the dark, and the words some assembly required. Now, let me just say, there's a good kind of fear out there that helps us survive and it teaches us to respect appropriate boundaries. Good fear alerts us to dangers and keeps kids from touching hot stoves. Good fear keeps men like me from dressing the way we really, really want to because we're afraid of that look that our wives give us sometimes. You're not wearing that, are you? I know you think that's hilarious, but uh, take it off. <laughs> but there are some bad fears, real bad fears. Bad fears paralyze us from doing what we know we should do. We have become a society that toys with fear, yet is paralyzed by fear. It's a strange phenomenon. You know, years ago, there was a TV show that was called Fear Factor. Some of you probably remember that. We'd find ourselves morbidly curious enough to tune in and see people hanging on ropes from helicopters or lying in a bathtub full of snakes just to face their worst fears. It was relatable enough to be entertainment for all of us. Yet on the other hand, we are a society that is burdened down with fears that cripple us. Phobias abound. You know, there are over 450 identified phobias, and that number continues to climb as we find new things to fear. 
The most recent and active fear is this fear of riots and violence that haunts our nation. Then there is coronaphobia, which is new, and obviously the fear of COVID-19, the coronavirus. Then we have some old faithful phobias like claustrophobia, which is the fear of closed-in spaces, and acrophobia, the fear of heights, to other very, very specific fears like ombrophobia, which is a fear of rain, pantherophobia, which is a fear of your mother-in-law, and then there's arachabutyrophobia, which is a fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I did not make that up. And if that's not enough, there's one that I deal with, one that's called sermon succophobia, which is a fear of preaching a bad message. I may have just made that one up. Well, we'd like to say that fear is not part of our life. Too many of us could not say that with a clear conscience. But why, friends? Why does God command us not to fear? Fear doesn't seem like the most serious vice in the world. It never made the list of seven deadly sins. No one ever received church discipline for being afraid. Can you imagine? I got kicked out of my church because I was afraid of spiders. It's kind of a harsh rule in a tough church, isn't it? So why? Why does God command us to stop being afraid more often than he tells us anything else? Now, the reason that God says fear not so much is not that he wants us to always be spared the emotional discomfort. In fact, God usually says those words to get people to do something that's gonna cause them to bump into fear anyway. God says fear not so often because fear is the number one reason that people avoid doing what God asks them to do. Do you realize that there are 366 fear not verses in the Bible? That's one for every day of the year and a bonus one for leap year. So imagine this with me. A two-year-old girl stands by the side of the pool. Her dad is there and the dad is yelling, jump, don't be afraid, you can trust me, I'm not gonna let you sink. Well, in that moment, she's a bundle of inner conflict. On the one hand, everything inside her is screaming to stay put. The water's deep, it's cold, it's dangerous. She's never done this before. She can't swim. And she's thinking, what if something goes wrong? Bad things do happen. After all, it's her little body at stake here, not his. But on the other hand, it is her daddy in the water. He's bigger and stronger than she is, and he's been relatively trustworthy up until this point. And he seems to be pretty confident about the outcome of this whole thing. So the battle is between fear and trust. Trust says, jump. Fear says, no, 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 no. You know, she can't stay on the side of the pool forever. Eventually, she comes to the moment of decision. She'll jump or she will back away. Whichever way she chooses are gonna to lead to significant consequences. If she chooses to jump, she'll become a little bit more confident in her father's ability to catch her. She'll become more likely to take that leap next time. The water will hold less terror for her. If she chooses to shrink back, on the other hand, if she chooses not to jump, that will also have consequences. She'll miss the opportunity to discover that her father can be trusted. She'll be a little more inclined towards safety next time. She'll perceive herself as the kind of person who does not respond bravely to challenges. And she'll work hard to make sure that she avoids those kind of situations in the future. So trust or fear, there are consequences either way. Well, what is fear really? At its simplest and most benign, fear is an internal warning cry that tells us danger is nearby, we better do something about it. It brings about this fight or flight response. 
There is also a physiological component to fear. Just about everyone who has dealt with the anticipation of having to do something that you didn't want to do and it makes you quake. I remember talking to a guy who was about to go up and speak before me at some conference or retreat deal. And he was really, really nervous. And he told me, he said, I am so nervous that my, my palms are all sweaty. So I tried to encourage him a little bit while we were waiting. And after a little while, it just wasn't getting any better for him. And he was about to go on. He said, I can't speak. My mouth is all dry. Well, I wanted to be helpful. So I said, why don't you lick your sweaty palms? And he didn't think that was funny at all. So here's the question. If fear is an ever-present factor, then don't we need to learn to deal with it? I mean, the good news is that fear is also an emotion that Jesus does understand. You might think, what? I mean, Jesus and fear? Come on. We have a hard time with that. We'll acknowledge uh, on Jesus some other emotions. You know, Jesus smiling, Jesus weeping, Jesus stern even. But Jesus anguished? face flooded with anxiety and sweat. Let's go back to that moment in the Bible. It comes from the Garden of Gethsemane. And in Luke, 22, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says this, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What do we do with that image of Jesus? I'll tell you what we do. We turn to this image when we are rattled by fear. Wasn't it fear that Jesus was dealing with there? He saw something so ominous in his immediate future that he begged for a change of plans. But then there was this verse 42 where he says, Father, if you are willing, Take away this cup of suffering. I mean, it was a desperate prayer. Here's a question. What causes you to pray that same kind of prayer? Boarding an airplane? Facing a crowd? Taking a job? Taking a spouse? Public speaking? Driving over a bridge? That source of your fear may small, seem small to others, but to you, it freezes your feet and makes your heart pound. That's what happened to Jesus, but even to a greater degree. He was so afraid that he bled. Doctors describe this condition as hematidrosis. Extreme anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. When this occurs, sweat comes out mixed with blood. Jesus was battling fear. But notice this. The first one to hear his fear is his father. He could have gone to his mother, could have confided in his disciples. He could have assembled a prayer meeting, but he didn't do that. First, he went to his father. Not us. We tend to go everywhere else first. To the bar, to the counselor, to the self-help book, to the friend next door. But not Jesus. The first one to hear his fear was his father in heaven, and he did it immediately. But with us... Our justifications regarding our fear often say stuff like this. Well, you know, it's just my circumstances. When this situation is over, then my fear will be gone. But that's a lie. Fear comes in under the cover of circumstances when we let it, but it doesn't leave on cue. It's no longer sporadic and circumstantial. It's now habitual. And when that happens, we've become worriers. And worry is just a form of fear. 
Now, the traditional distinction is that fear is caused by external circumstances, while worry is produced from the inside. Yet they generate the same sort of fruit, don't they? Worry is just fear that has unpacked its bags and signed a long-term lease. And it is sad to me how accepted worry is as normal. Worrying seems responsible. COVID-19 worry seems responsible. Worries about violence and riots, it seems responsible. You know, social researchers say that we're the most worried culture that has ever lived. In the last 100 years, life expectancy has doubled. We're able to treat more diseases than ever, yet no group of human beings have ever been more worried about their health. We keep reading articles about how sick we are. And lots of people that are watching this message, you check the statistics every day to see how many people have died from the coronavirus. You know, a journalist by the name of Bob Garfield, he tracked health articles in the most popular publications in America, and he discovered this, that according to experts, now this is according to experts, 121 million Americans have heart disease, 63 million suffer from migraines, 54 million have osteoporosis, 70 million struggle with obesity, 8 million have cancer, 15 million have severe disorders of one kind or another, like brain injuries, and the list goes on and on and on. The results are that 640 million Americans are seriously sick, which is shocking in a nation of only 330 million people. Either we as a society are doomed or somebody is seriously double dipping. Now, our fears and our worries about health don't just stay there. They carry over into other areas of life. Fear about money, fear about safety, worries about our kids and their health and their money and their safety. We've made fear and worry a way of life. The great author Oswald Chambers wrote these words. Listen to this. Worry is sin. We tend to think a little anxiety and worry are simply an indication of how wise we are. Yet it's actually a much better indication of how wicked we really are. Worry rises from our determination to have our own way. Fretting is wickedness for a child of God. Old Oswald never pulls punches, does he? We're called by God to be conquerors, to be overcomers through faith. And the place where this all starts is like this. God issues a challenge for us to follow him in obedience as maybe we never have before. It might not be comfortable, but God wants to stretch us in some way. We're like that little girl on the side of the pool with father's arms outstretched to see if we're going to trust. Do we jump or do we shrink back? God's nudging us to stretch, to grow, to take steps of faith and growth. What will we do? There's a great picture of this in the Old Testament. Moses is reflecting on his ride with the people of Israel and how God asked them to go on this adventure with him. God challenges them to jump. And the people aren't too sure about all this because God always seemed to be calling them to do stuff that made them uncomfortable. They're a pretty fearful people. So this is the picture that Moses gives them from Deuteronomy chapter 32. He says, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, as it spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions, what a great picture that is. It says, the Lord alone guided them, meaning the children of Israel. So as an eagle stirs up the nest, he says, this is a picture of how God guides us. Now, when Moses is talking about God stirring up the nest, He's referring to the mother eagle's efforts to get her little eaglets to fly because the nest is a safe and comfortable place and the little eaglets, if left to themselves, they might just be content to stay there forever. 
Now, the mother eagle loves the eaglets, but she doesn't really want them hanging onto the nest when they're 28 years old. You know, little slacker eaglets with beards and ski caps and clunky glasses. So she stirs up the nest. Now, when an eagle builds a nest, it includes pebbles or little bits of glass, sharp things that come to the surface when the nest is stirred up. And the eagles will feel a little jab, increasingly uncomfortable, and they'll wanna leave the nest. Now, mom is creating discomfort for the little eaglets, not because she wants to hurt them, but because she wants them to see that there's more to life than sitting in the nest. She wants them to fly and to soar, so she stirs up the nest. They probably don't like the discomfort very much, but they end up taking those first steps and flying. Then Moses says, God goes with his people as the eagle goes with its eaglets. She'll go with them. She'll carry them on her wings when they can't make it. Moses says, as an eagle bears them on her pinions, God does this with people. Friends, God does this with you. He stirs up your nest. It's part of conquering and overcoming. God wants you to fly. He wants you to soar in the spirit. Some of you are having your nest stirred up right now. Maybe it's a new adventure in financial obedience or sacrifice. Maybe it involves taking on something new in ministry. Maybe it's a new level of honesty in a relationship. Maybe it's becoming a leader in a small group. Maybe it's developing a relationship and sharing your faith with a neighbor that you care about. God's saying to you, get out of the nest. Get out of the nest. Life's about so much more than just sitting and enjoying the nest. Fear not. It's uncomfortably wonderful out there. I want you to soar, God says. God challenges those that he loves. He stirs up their comfortable little nests. And when God does that to you, when he challenges you to obey him as never before, you will bump into fear. That's why over and over and over again in the Bible, it says, fear not. It wouldn't have to say that to them if they never ran into fear. See, God is not trying to get people to go through life without ever experiencing feelings of fear. He's saying it so we're encouraged to forge ahead with him in spite of facing fear. Overcomers are not people who never experience fear. Overcomers experience fear, yet refuse to accept it or be turned back by it. So, if you're experiencing fears, God's saying, fear not, you're right in the place where you have an opportunity to grow. God will walk you through this fear. Now, let's wrap this up by going back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup from me, Jesus prayed. And then he punctuates that prayer with, if you are willing, he was dealing with fear and he asked his father to change what was happening. So was God willing to step in? Yes and no. He didn't take away the cross, but he took away the fear. God didn't still this storm, but he stilled the sailor. Friends, there are times when we wish, we wish God would change the circumstances that bring us fear or doubt or worry but God wants us to experience him in the midst of it. He says, fear not, not because we can take away fear, but because he can and he will. I want you to bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Lord, we're grateful that 366 times you tell us, fear not. Lord, you don't want us to be crippled by fear, shackled by fear. So Lord, all of us that have fears of one kind or another that we deal with. 
Lord, we ask that we would be very mindful of your word to us, your call to us, to rise above fear, not by our power, but by yours. And I pray that it begins this very day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been great having you with us. We're looking forward to getting back together very, very soon. But until that time, let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.